Man, what a good, what a good day. It's, uh, it's one of those things where I, I've been out of town quite a bit this summer. You know, we spent two weeks in China, and then we came back for a week, and then I was gone for a week and gone for a week, and I've had a lot of time to reflect on my own relationship with Christ, and, and part of that experience was all that kind of did in us, all, the, all that God kind of did in us in China, excuse me, and, and what he was teaching me, instructing me, and how I came home and, and thinking about my relationship with Christ. In fact, as we get into August, I'm going to be kind of teaching through a series of things, of, of stuff that I've learned from the Chinese church. And so you'll be hearing a lot more about that trip and, and seeing pictures as we get kind of through July. But, but I've really reflected a lot on my own relationship with Christ. And I've reflected a lot on, on kind of this community and where God has brought us from and where we are now and really where he's leading us in the future in our really young stage and some of the things that are going to be happening in the fall as we kind of begin to explain and talk through with everyone where God is taking us over the next year and a half. Very exciting, very cool stuff, but um, a lot of trust involved. And I really was, was reflecting a lot on my own relationship with Christ, trying to rediscover this sort of passion um, that I think we're really called to have in our faith. And I, and I came across a, a book that I keep on my shelf that I pull out every once in a while, and I know that I've shared a little bit about this before, but that is really kind of powerful in my own life. And it's a, it's a book that's it's just God's vitamin C uh, for the spirit of men. And it's really, there's nothing in this book that's really great. It, what's, what's really great about this book is what's written on the inside cover. So um, what's written on the inside cover, because the in, inside book is just stories from different people that have written different things about guys, I guess. So, but anyway, the inside cover is remarkable. In the inside cover, there's an inscription that was written by my dad on June 16th, 1998. It basically just says, happy 24th birthday, so it's just a few years ago. Happy 24th birthday. I was given a copy of this book, and he just sort of says some things to me. But, but what's remarkable about this book is that my dad signed it June 16th, 1998. My dad died on June 11th of 1998, five days before this date was was signed. I received it in the mail actually the day that he died. Um, it was on my for a birthday present that my dad had had sent to me and and and, and you know I think about this book a lot because you know my dad and I had a had a great relationship but our my, our spiritual relationship with my dad was was always something that that we just didn't kind of get into a lot. I mean I knew that I knew he loved the Lord and I knew he believed in Jesus but but we didn't you know, spend a lot of time dealing with that and so you know, when this book came, um, it was really one of those things I was like, man, it's kind of remarkable. I mean, God, I mean, God is beginning to do something in my dad's life. And then, of course, that day uh, my dad died of a heart attack. And I've kept that on my shelf. And, and every once in a while I pull it out because he's kind of gone through it in these little different stories and he's underlined things and written things that reminded him about my brother and I or just various things. It's really, really special. But that book, what it does for me is it, it makes me long for more time with him, you know. Anyone that's lost someone in, in your life, you, you kind of go through these, these phases and these stages where you, you remember and you long and you want to spend more time with, man, I would love to give my dad one more hug or just spend a little bit more time with him or, or just makes me kind of long for more of those moments. It, it also makes me remember, it makes me remember all the things that we did together and all the things that, that, that I loved about him and, and, you know, good and bad. I mean, just... It, it, it puts in my life a remembering of the things that, that I've experienced. And so as I thumb, thumb through those pages and I see, see the things that he's written, I can, um, I remember a lot about our relationship. And it also makes me kind of want to be a better person for my own kids. I think about, you know, the, the, the things that he wrote in there to me and, and who he was in my life and how he kind of raised me. And it, it kind of makes me want to declare some things in my own heart that I want to be for my own kids. 
And I, I'm going to revisit this in just a moment. But, but really, this was an integral part of my kind of thinking about my own relationship with Christ. Because really, the Bible is full of things just like this. It's full of people that are, that are encountering and remembering and longing and declaring things about their own relationships with Christ. And, and as I examine my spiritual life over this past month, and I really look at all that God is calling me to be and all that God is calling this community to be and where he's leading us, I was really struck with several things that, that come out of Psalm 63. And Psalm 63, if there's... If there's any kind of favorite sections of text I have, I mean, this is definitely one of, the, one of them. I mean, I've got a lot, but this is one of them. And, and I want to visit it this morning because I do believe it's a really powerful kind of um, marker for us all to take a moment and just say, man, in the middle of the summer, in the middle of sort of the heat and all the things that are going on and just the busyness of life, sometimes we need to just take a marker and rediscover and remember the, this sort of calling that we have to be um, passionate people about our relationship with Jesus Christ. So I'm going to visit from the, we're going to visit from the book of uh, Psalms, chapter 63. If you've got it, I want you to go ahead and flip there. There's Bibles in front of you or laying around in there this morning. And uh, let me give you a little bit of background before we kind of dive in there together. But uh, this psalm is said to be written by, by King David. Most, a lot of the psalms are attributed to King David. Some of them we know we are, some of them we're just kind of guessing. But this one is is attributed to King David. And it's written at a really interesting time because David is actually on the run for his life. He is king and there is an uprising being led by this guy by the name of Absalom who is actually trying to be king as well. He's trying to overthrow David and become king of Israel. And so David, fearing for his life, leaves Jerusalem and takes off into the wilderness or into the desert. And when the Bible talks about wilderness in the Old Testament, it's usually referring to the desert. And they just take outside of town and just... Go. And that's what David did. He just took off outside of town and just ran for his, his life, basically. And so David is on the run, and he's in the middle of the desert, and it is hot. I mean, you think it's hot here. You know, it's 125 degrees in the desert and no water and all these things, and David is fearing for his life. He's thinking he might die, and he is running, and he writes this psalm, this sort of cry to God in the middle of this sort of wandering, in this heat, in this fear. Um, come these words. And, you know, a lot of us have been in places like that. We've been in places where our spiritual life just feels dry. It just feels empty. It just feels like we're kind of on the run or like it's anything but refreshing. And uh, David's words are really powerful. And I think they'll speak to us as we begin to try and maybe rediscover this kind of remembering and longing that we have for a relationship with Jesus. So before we open God's word together, let's just take a second and let's just pray. Lord, we thank you just for the moment to gather in this place. God, we know that there are a lot of things that, that are going on this summer and travel and stuff. And, you know, we just, we, what an amazing opportunity we have to sit for a moment in your presence together. God, as a community, and just encounter your truth and your love and rediscover maybe um, a little bit of passion for uh, maybe what's become a stale relationship with you. Take just a moment and just ask God to speak to your heart this morning. Just ask God to, to whisper something to your soul, just to move in you. And take just a moment and, and just say some, a prayer for somebody next to you, even if you don't know them or you've never met them. Just, just pray that God would, would show his face to them this morning. Lord, we thank you just for these moments and ask that you would allow your word to come to life in us. In Jesus' name, amen. 
You know, these psalms really, they make a lot more sense when we understand the context that some of them are written in. They're not just, you know, some person or some guy sitting in his, you know, his bedroom just kind of writing poetry to the Lord. I mean, these are expressions that are coming out of life. A lot of the psalms were used in the worship life of Israel. They were sung or chanted or recited as they headed up to Jerusalem to worship or as they descended back down the mountain from worship. They are responses and invitations. And and this psalm in particular, when you understand the context of what's going on, becomes really powerful. I mean, David is running for his life. He's afraid, and he's stranded, and he's wandering in the wilderness in the middle of the desert with probably about six other folks that are traveling with him, and he's afraid that he's going to be either killed or forgotten. In Psalm 63, we see just the first four verses. This is what the psalm says. God, you are my God, and earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, and my body longs for you, in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I mean, just from the onset, you can, can almost experience this sort of passion that David is beginning to have as he pours out these words. And he says, God... Here I am, literally stranded in the wilderness. I am running around, fearing for my life, and I am, you are my God, and earnestly I seek you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. My soul longs for you. Now, the imagery of the desert is really powerful imagery in the Middle East. Obviously, we can understand that. I mean, in a desert where water is impossible to come by, when you long for something, when you long for water like that, you know that without it, you will die. You cannot wander in the desert without water. Only after a matter of a half a day or a day, you'll go into heat exhaustion. Ultimately, it will kill you. And David is saying this. He's saying, God, you are my God. In the middle of all this chaos of life, in the middle of my running and my fears, you are my God. And I seek you so deeply and so desperately that my soul longs for you like my body longs for water. Now, I don't, I don't think any of us in this place have ever... Um, really longed for water to the point where we knew that without it, we might die. We have access to clean water when we run our taps. We have access to clean water anywhere we want to. I mean, we have access to clean water in the back of this very room. Most of us have never been in a place where we've, we've wanted something so deeply that we knew we would die without it. You know, when we were in Africa a few years ago, the experience of, of clean water takes on a whole new uh, uh, kind of picture for me because the people that we were visiting with in Uganda, they just didn't have access to it. They would drink out of puddles on the street if they, when it rained. And, 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 the, and so they literally would long for water. They would walk miles and miles and miles just to get a drink or to carry a bucket of water back home. And I think about David out in the wilderness and how he's saying, God, here I am running for my life, and my, my, my spirit literally longs for you like my body longs for water. Without you, I will die. And I started thinking about my own relationship with Christ, and I think, you know, God, my relationship with, with Jesus is such a relationship of convenience at times. You know, when it suits me and when I have deep needs, man, I cry out to God, but, but very seldom do I really think of my own relationship with Christ as saying, God, without you, I would die. I, I long for you so deeply that you're like my water in the desert that you give me that kind of renewing and refreshing life 
And sadly, I think so many of us wander around with passionless, tepid spiritual lives because we don't understand that that following Christ means that we should have this deep longing that says, God, I, I want to know you so deeply and so desperately that it's like my soul is longing for that water. and Without you, I will perish. In this psalm, what we see is we see David have this longing, this just longing. Most of us have become content, or I say a lot of us have become content with sort of spiritual lives that are lived in the middle of mediocrity. We've become content with spiritual lives that cost us nothing. Spiritual lives of convenience. I would not say that our spiritual lives are riddled with longing. I mean deep, passionate longing to know God more, that our souls would kind of long for Him, earnestly seek Him. And I came face to face with this idea that, God, I want to be a, a, a man whose soul longs for God. I mean, just deeply. David reminds us of that. There's this longing here. There's also a remembering, which I find really powerful. Verse, verse 2 is really a powerful verse. It says, I have seen you in the sanctuary, and I have beheld your power and your glory. Now, David could not be farther away from the, the temple in Jerusalem. I mean, he is out He is bolted out of town, and he is racing through the desert, or he is stranded in the desert outside of town, and he's saying, look, God, I remember your sanctuary. I have beheld your power and glory. He's saying, look, I remember seeing you move. God, I was a part of of something amazing. You have done miraculous and powerful things. I have beheld your power and your glory. I have seen your magnificent hand. David's life was a testimony to the power and move of God. Not only had had David seen God raise him up, literally call him to become king as a shepherd in the kind of out there in the the middle of the, the wilderness, calling him to become king, but he has watched God raise him up and do incredibly powerful things, deliver him time and time and time again. He has watched the temple where God's presence dwelt. He has watched the worship of the people take place in that. He's saying, God, I have beheld your power and your glory. You know, really... When it comes to following Christ, we've, and I've mentioned this when we were going through our series on rest, sometimes our, our, our memory becomes so short. Life has a way of erasing our memory. When life piles in on us, when struggles happen, when the financial kind of burdens crush in on us, when, when all these things begin to unfold, sometimes our memory gets really short and we forget that God is so faithful We forget what he's done time and time and time again. We forget how he's delivered us and rescued us and redeemed us. We've forgotten that every time something comes, God is there to provide. And when it feels like life is suffocating us, our memory gets really short. And out in the wilderness, David's memory could have gotten really short. He could have said, God, you know, here I am literally dying for water. I'm stranded. The people are, are chasing me. They want to kill me. They don't want me to be king anymore. And Absalom has, has got a great uprising, and, and my life is in danger. And where are you? But David says, God, I remember you. And I have beheld, I have seen, I have witnessed your power and your glory. If we are going to be passionate followers of Christ... We have to have amazing memories to remember that the God of the universe has done powerful things in us. He's done powerful things in you. He's done powerful things in me. And sometimes when life feels like we're in the desert, when our spiritual lives become somewhat passionless, if we'll recall the way that God has moved, we'll recall the way that God has done things in us already, it could be a really powerful reminder. And as I was sitting here with this book, 
really thinking about it, especially a lot last night. I was thinking that sometimes my memory is just too short. But you're just, you're so faithful to me. Following Christ and, and being a passionate person who follows Jesus means we, we want to have this deep longing that we're never going to be satisfied with where we are spiritually. God, I want you to, to grow me. I want to continue to chase after you and seek you. And God, I remember that when life is hard and struggles come, that I have seen you move. I've experienced that. I've watched that. I remember the day that you rescued me, that you called me. I remember the day that you comforted me. I remember the day that I was sobbing after my father died. And you wrapped your arms around me and you said, Trevor, I love you. You didn't give me every answer in the world, but you told me and whispered to my soul how you loved me. God, I remember how you were there. So who am I to think that you're going to abandon me now? Then finally, David says this. He says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I've got a lot of favorite verses in Scripture, a lot of them. So they kind of rotate which ones I love the most at whatever time. But Psalm 63.3 is just one of my all-time favorites. And it just basically, God, because your love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Do we often think about God's love in those categories? That God's love is better than than life. Not, the, not better than just the bad things or just the good things, but better than all of it rolled up together. Better than everything that this life and this world has to offer. God's love is better than that. And here's David on the run for his life in the middle of the wilderness where he is thirsty and hot in the desert. And he's saying, God, your love is better than life. And so right here in the middle of this moment, I will praise you. We love to praise God on the other side. We love to come out of the desert and go back into the temple and praise God and say, God, look what you have delivered me from. One of the hardest things in the world to do is to say, God, I will praise you and I will lift up my hands right here in the middle of this really hard moment. I will praise you right here in the middle of this chaos. Because your love is better than life. And even though I don't get it right now and I've got a lot of questions and things don't seem to be working out like I hoped they would, I will praise you, God, because your love is better than all that I know. And I will earnestly seek you and I will remember what you've done. David makes this declaration. He says that in the middle of this moment, my life is yours. And I will lift up my hands. It really is a sign of worship. It's just saying, man, God, I give up. I give up. I give you my life. You know, as I was thinking about my own relationship with Christ, and I was thinking about all the things that God's doing in me, and all the questions I still have about where we're going, and who I am, and what our family is, and all these things that are going on, I just am overwhelmed by this fact, that following Christ really takes a deep longing, that I don't want a faith of mediocrity. I don't want a faith of convenience. I want to be a, a person that longs for Jesus. And, and I want to remember, God, that you have met me in the middle of the most difficult circumstances in my life. And you've rescued me. And God, I want to declare here and now that because your love is better than all of it, I will praise you. Not when we're done and when I see what you've done, but when it's all said and done. Not then, but right now. I will just say, God, I praise you. And I lift up my hands. Sometimes we need moments of rediscovery. In the middle of summer, in the middle of heat, in the middle of life, we just need these moments where we just say, God, I need to just simply remember 
what it means to follow you. You know, this morning we have the opportunity to share in this, this meal, communion together. And this is perhaps the perfect picture of what it means to marry longing and remembrance and declaration together. I mean, it really is the picture of this table. That we long to know Christ and for him to fill us and cleanse us and redeem our brokenness. And that we remember what he did on the cross and how God raised him from the dead to give us new life. And we declare here and now that our lives will be marked by his love and his blood. It's the perfect marriage of that picture. And so it works exactly where we are. And so this morning, I don't know what you're dealing with or struggling with, and maybe you just needed to be here this morning to hear just a little word of encouragement for your soul. But my challenge is is that if we share this meal together, as we participate in communion this morning together, that you might use this as a marker to rediscover a passion in your spiritual life. To say, God, I'm so tired of just being tepid and passionless, but I want to long for you, and I want to remember what you've done, and I want to declare that right now things change in me. You know, that really is the picture of this table. It's a picture of what Jesus has done for us. It's a picture of of a love that is better than life. I mean, if there is a, a glimmer of love that is better than all that this world knows and all this world has to offer, it's the picture that's poured out on this table that the God of the universe loves you and he loves me so deeply and so desperately that in the middle of our brokenness, in the middle of our sin, he sent his son Jesus to die so that we might have life. This is not a habit or a practice of the church. This is a declaration of all that we are and a reminder of all that God did for us. On that same night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his disciples together at the table. And after giving thanks, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. And after he had taken the bread, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. When we take of this bread and we drink of this cup, we do this in remembrance of what God has done for us and how his love literally is better than life. This morning, we're going to be taking communion by means of intinction, which is this really fancy way of saying you just take a piece of the bread from the basket and you, you dip it in the cup. This table is not a denominational table. It's open to all who profess faith in Jesus Christ. If you are a believer, a follower of Christ, this table is open to you. We operate in a little bit of chaos around here, as you can probably tell. And so we don't do things in a nice, sweet little order where everybody comes down from the little rows. But you just deal with the Lord. And as you feel led, we invite you to come forward and uh, take communion. We'll have a station over here and we'll have a station over here. And as you feel led, as Don, the band, begin to lead us in worship, we invite you to come down. But before you come and share in this meal this morning, my real challenge is this. As you think about those words of David, as you think about those, that cry from the desert, that maybe before you participate in communion this morning, you might spend a few moments with the Lord saying, God, I want to be a person who longs for you, who remembers what you've done and declares that God I will seek you because your love is better than life. And that I want to walk out of these doors 
walk out of these doors with a passionate heart for a God that has redeemed my soul. I'm going to pray for us, and then I'll invite us to come down this morning. Lord, we thank you for this table and for all that it means, all that it represents. Lord, we pray that you would take these ordinary elements of bread and of juice and that you would transform them spiritually to nourish our soul. We thank you that you are the God of the universe, that you made everything that we see, that you formed the trees and the stars. God, that you made the sun. God, that you breathed life into our very lungs. God, we thank you for your son Jesus, that you loved us enough to have him walk this earth, to love people in a radically transforming way, and then die on the cross, also that we might have life, both abundant life here on earth and eternal life with you in heaven. Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit, in which you guide and speak into our life, in which you lead the mission of this church. God, we pray that you would begin to do a work in us as we share in this meal together. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.